George was a successful actor. He had been in dozens of highly rated movies, and he had the money, the houses, and the fans to prove it. From the outside, his life seemed perfect. At least, until one day, when he showed up at his daughter's house, disheveled and demanding to take his grandkids on a trip. He rushed them to a remote cabin in the woods, and to be honest, they were scared. But George never meant to scare them. He brought them there because they were still young enough to believe what he was about to tell them. Welcome to the first episode of the Nameless Stories podcast. Each episode is based on an original short story. If you enjoy this episode and want to read the original short story, visit us on our website at namelessstories.com or on YouTube or Instagram at nameless.stories. This week, we bring you the story of George, a burdened actor who's been hiding what came with his success his whole life. And now, The Marionettist, a nameless story. George used to have dreams of seeing himself on the big screen one day. He wanted to be an actor more than anything, but when he moved out to LA, he started to question if he could ever really make it. He struggled for a while and had to work multiple jobs just to support himself, but eventually, he landed a role in a big-budget film. Even though his role was small, it was enough to get him invited to the premiere, and he finally felt like he was going somewhere. He showed up to the premiere dressed better than he ever had been before, and started to mingle, hoping he might meet someone who could really launch his career. But for the most part, people seemed to ignore him. No one really seemed to care who he was. He was getting ready to call it quits for the night and just head home, skip the after parties, and mope. But then he met Paul. He stopped George just as he was leaving and went on and on about how much he loved George's performance. He rambled for almost an hour about all George's skills, how he could bring a tear out of one eye but not the other, the subtlety in his expressions, and things that George didn't even know he could do. But George didn't mind it all. In fact, he loved it. Paul praised him the whole time, only stopping when security told them it was time to go. They said their goodbyes and went their separate ways, but as they left, George noticed a tiny pinch in his back. It was faint and hardly even noticeable, but he knew he felt it. George's career stagnated in the years following that encounter, but he felt good about his chances for a new movie role coming up. He went into the audition as cool, calm, and collected as could be, but when he entered, he was shocked to find Paul there, seated at the audition table. The last time they had seen each other, they talked so much about George that he hadn't even thought to ask Paul what he did, and, as it turned out, Paul was some sort of big-shot Hollywood exec. George figured that Paul wouldn't even remember him from their conversation a few years before, but he was wrong. The second he came into the room, Paul ran right up to him, gave him a big hug, and told him how excited he was that George had come out for the role. From there, the audition only got better. George had shown up for a minor role, but by the time he finished, Paul had the whole room singing his praises and practically promising him the lead role right then and there. And George was so happy that he hardly even noticed that pinching feeling again. He just skipped all the way home with visions in his head of the riches that would soon be coming his way. 
As expected, George got the lead role, but things started to get strange after that. No one seemed to know Paul, and whenever George mentioned him on set, people just nodded and nervously laughed as if he was telling a joke they didn't quite get. He figured Paul must really have just been one of those execs that sat behind the scenes in an office most of the time, but they seemed to run into each other everywhere except on set. They had regular run-ins on the streets and even went to get coffee sometimes. They started to become close friends, and George really grew to like Paul. He was curious, listened well, and it didn't hurt that all he ever wanted to do was talk about George and the name he was building for himself. But as he got to know Paul better, Paul started to change. Not in personality, he was still just as talkative as ever, but he started to look younger and younger somehow. But they were in Hollywood after all, so George just assumed Paul was getting work done. But whatever he was doing, George didn't think it was doing him any favors. At the same time that Paul looked younger, he also started looking more sickly. George almost thought to ask if he was doing okay one day, but Paul's perpetual cheeriness told him that it wasn't a question worth asking. So, George brushed it off. But what he couldn't brush off were those pinches. They came more regularly now, and they only seemed to come after talking with Paul for a while. George thought about saying something about that too, but he started to notice them at times when Paul was in the bathroom, or 20 feet away. Paul couldn't have been causing the pinches, right? Worst case, George figured it had something to do with the strange, almost rotten cologne Paul would wear, like some weird chemical was tricking his brain into thinking it just felt a pinch. But the pinches never hurt that much, so George never brought it up. The movie was released a few years later and changed George's life. He suddenly had more money than he knew what to do with. But to George, the best thing of all was his newly found fame. People loved him. He even had to hire a bodyguard after a run-in with one overzealous fan. However, no matter how much money and protection he had, they were of no use to him one spring night. A foul scent had been lingering in the air the whole day like a nearby farm had a manure explosion. The scent was so bad that, when night rolled around, George even had trouble sleeping. He laid awake for hours before finally giving up and going to get some sleeping pills from the kitchen to knock him out. But as he walked through the dark rooms of his house, a chill went down his spine. He lived alone, but that night in the darkness, he didn't feel alone. Then, he saw it the faintest twitch of a shadow in the reflection of one of his windows. George paused dead in his tracks and hunted for the source of the twitching shadow. But he didn't have to wait long. A voice broke the silence. What's wrong, George? It asked. George's skin crawled and he nearly jumped out of his socks. The voice came from the shadows, but it wasn't the voice of a stranger. It was George's own voice. George threw his door open and sprinted outside hoping to find someone still awake enough to help him. But the further he ran, the more it felt like he was running through deeper and deeper water. Running became difficult, then impossible, until he even started getting pulled backwards. He was yanked back into the house like a fish ripped from the water. He fell on the floor, and that's when he saw him. Paul. But he wasn't Paul anymore. He was completely different. George felt like he was looking into a strange carnival mirror that had somehow combined both of their faces into one. Paul? George asked. But Paul didn't answer. 
He just dove on top of George and pinned him to the ground as George struggled pointlessly against his bizarre, almost inhuman strength. All George could do was watch the reflection in the window as Paul pulled out a giant, gleaming fish hook and plunged it into the base of George's neck. George screamed, almost fainting from the pain. But when he opened his eyes, he didn't see the fishhook anymore. He just saw a thin, glimmering string rising from the spot the fishhook had entered. In fact, he saw dozens of strings, all rising from the back of his body. That's the last thing George remembered before passing out that night. But when he rose the next day, he was back in his bed, the smell was gone, and the pain was gone. He felt great even better than great. He thought of reporting what had happened to the police, but it passed from his mind in a second. He just felt too good. He had this strange assurance over him, as if everything in his world was better than it could be in anyone else's. George stopped running into Paul on the street after that night, but those horrible night visits became routine. Every few months, Paul would appear in George's house again. George started to notice it happening after some big development in his career, or while he was feeling particularly good about himself. But then, they started happening at random times, run-of-the-mill days he never would have remembered otherwise. Paul would show up again, looking more and more sickly each time, and George would try to run but get pulled back just to have another fish hook plunged into his skin. But every morning after, he would wake up again in a strange state of euphoria. Still, the euphoria wasn't enough to make him ignore the night visits altogether. He wanted to go to the police, but he knew that he was famous enough by that point that it made more sense to keep a bizarre story like this under wraps. But one night, he decided he finally had enough. When the rotting scent began filling the air again, he flicked a light on and didn't get out of bed. George decided that, if it was going to happen that night, Paul would have to come to him. And 20 minutes later, he did. George's jaw dropped as Paul crept around the corner and he saw him in the light for the first time in years. His skin was putrid. It hung from him with dozens of holes and sores oozing pus. But while he looked sicklier than ever, he also looked more powerful. He must have been eight feet tall, at least at the pinnacle of his hunched back. His actual head hung much lower. Paul stepped closer and sat on the edge of George's bed. George didn't run, didn't scream. He just sat up and asked the monster what it wanted with him. The monster smiled wide as it answered. It told him that it wanted the same thing George wanted. Now, George was terrified and confused. He yelled at the monster that he wanted nothing to do with him. The monster clicked its tongue as it wagged its finger, as if each wag was scolding George for not appreciating all he had done for him. George opened his mouth to scream the monster away, but the only thing that came to his mind were thoughts of how no one knew his name before he met Paul. He was just a nameless kid without a fan in the world. The monster formed a knowing grin. See, it said, I haven't been so bad, now have I? George asked the monster again what it wanted, and it told him that it was simple. He just wanted George to keep letting things go on as they had been. George would get to keep living his life and all it would take was letting the monster pay him a visit every now and then. They sat quietly as George considered the offer, but when he finally broke the silence, 
All he asked was if the hooks were still necessary. The monster didn't answer. It just gave George that firm look, like a parent to a mischievous child. George continued weighing the offer, but when all was said and done that night, before he fell back asleep, he let the monster bury another hook into his skin. Years and years passed for George as he lived in this unquestioned arrangement with the monster. It continued to visit him, but George managed to accept it. He even learned to sleep through the visits. When that stench began to fill his apartment, he just closed his eyes, grimaced as a twinge of pain came, and woke up ecstatic hours later as if nothing had ever happened. And in the meantime, more movies came. More fame, more fans, more of everything George had once dreamed of. He had a daughter, grandchildren, and life carried on flawlessly for him into his old age. At least, until about three years ago. George was on his way to an award show. He was nominated for a handful of categories, and he knew he would win at least one or two. Naturally, he was excited. But as he approached the theater where the award ceremony was held, something caught his attention. He noticed a man walking in the distance who didn't seem to care at all about the show. Even though the theater was quite a sight to behold, with celebrities, paparazzi, and fancy cars everywhere, the man didn't even glance in its direction. He just kept on walking until he reached an alley. George looked on as the man crouched down to someone covered in a blanket, sleeping in the alley, and placed what looked like a decent chunk of change by their feet. No one else saw it, not one of the many cameras by the theater, and not even the sleeping person knew what had just happened. And yet, the kind stranger didn't seem to care. He just left the money and kept on walking. George went on and found his seat at the show, but he couldn't stop thinking about what he had just seen. Mostly, about how stupid it was. George assumed the money would just go to drugs or alcohol or something, but the stranger never hesitated to give his money to the person. And for what? No one saw it. The recipient wasn't even awake to thank him. It annoyed George that he couldn't stop thinking about it. He tried to put it out of his mind when the presenters called his name and he climbed on stage to accept his award. But as he began his speech, he felt that pinch in the back of his neck again. He rubbed his eyes, but when he opened them, the room was entirely different. Hundreds of those faint, glimmering strings rose from the backs of the crowd, the same ones he knew were now rising from his back. They all reached into the sky as if connected to the control bars of an invisible marionettist. He did his best to finish his speech and conclude his thoughts, but as he walked back to his seat, he wasn't thinking about his speech and he wasn't even thinking about the strings anymore. He was thinking about the homeless man and the stranger. Truthfully, he couldn't stop thinking about them. Something changed in George after that day. He started giving away some of the money he had been saving up for years, and he started volunteering. He started to feel genuinely good in a way he never had before. And best of all, Paul had stopped visiting him at night. He hadn't felt one of those pinches in years, and he started feeling like the right version of himself had finally taken control of the reins again. That is, until last night. He got a text from his daughter, she did something she had never done before and asked for help, financial help. By the flicker of a dim light bulb, George pulled out his checkbook. He felt proud that night. 
Proud that he had achieved so much, lived a life where he was able to take care of his family members, and proud of all he had done for the world in recent years. All the money he had given away, all the poor he had helped. He began to write a check with more zeros than his daughter had ever seen in her life. But as he did, he felt a sensation he hadn't felt in years, one he had almost forgotten about, the pinch. But this time, instead of along his back or along his neck, it came from the back of his hand. He kept writing, trying to ignore the sensation, brushing it off as if his mind was just playing tricks on him. But he couldn't ignore the glimmering string hovering over his hand. He had seen those strings many times before, but this time, he noticed something he never had. A wispy substance was moving up the string. As he looked closer, he realized it wasn't a string at all, but some sort of tube, taking that wispy substance perpetually out of him and feeding it to the monster on the other side. But what shocked George most of all was his hand wasn't pulling the tube like he thought it was. The tube was pulling his hand as he wrote the check, tugging it, guiding it. George jumped to his feet and looked in the mirror to see hundreds of those tubes rising from his body. Almost every inch of his skin was covered in them. George couldn't stand it anymore. He grabbed a kitchen knife and wielded it in a sweeping circle around his body over and over until he was freed from the marionettist controlling those tubes. Suddenly, the rotting scent returned, growing stronger and stronger each second. George hopped in his car and didn't stop driving until he arrived at his daughter's house. He got his grandkids, brought them to the cabin they were at now, and told them his story. He had fled the monster as long as he could, but they had been sitting a while, and a rotten stench was beginning to fill the air again. The ground began to shake. George turned to his grandkids and begged them to believe him, to learn from his mistakes. He paced around frantically as giant thuds echoed outside. Footsteps getting closer and closer until they were just outside the cabin. The cabin walls were ripped in two and tossed 20 feet in either direction. The grandkids froze as their grandfather yelled at the sky, tearing his shirt to reveal hundreds of red pockmarks along his skin with glowing fish hooks and translucent tubes pouring out of him. They just stared at him, yelling and punching at the sky until an invisible force scooped him 100 feet in the air and contorted his body in ways not even an Olympic gymnast could hope to survive. The grandkids just sat, frozen in fear as the smell retreated into the woods with heavy footsteps, taking their grandfather's floating body with them. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review or sharing it with a friend. Again, if you want to hear more of our original content or read the full original story, visit us at namelessstories.com. You can also find us on YouTube or on Instagram at nameless.stories. We're hoping to tell more stories on a regular basis and create animated shorts to go along with each story. And anything you do to support, whether sharing, commenting, or subscribing here or on any other platform goes a long way towards helping us produce more content. Thank you so much for listening. And once more, this has been The Marionettist a nameless story.